Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. All right. We've done it. We've hit the button, the record button. It all starts there. And I am so excited to introduce our guest today. He is an absolute badass. The wisdom and the, the knowledge is just flowing off him right now. And he's not even saying anything, right? So I can't wait to introduce you to him. Who is he, Casey? A seasoned marketing leader, a thought leader in the space. And what's great about him is he's got this extensive background in product marketing and even sales. And that is that killer combination that makes for the best senior level marketer. Uh, learn that to you out there. Collect those pieces of that puzzle. He's also an advisor to the stars. He's working really decades on go-to-market growth strategies, creating new market categories, and even just leading world-class teams. So Chief Marketing Officer of Crunch Time, David Carroll, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you, Casey. It is extraordinary to be introduced as badass. I don't know if I've been introduced as such, but tell your friends, that's a good start tell your to family, hey. <laughs> yeah, tell your friends, right? Tell your tell team. my team. Well, tell my team. team. Yeah. This guy knows what he's talking about. So, with that, I'm going to stop badass. talking. I need to pass you this thing. It's heavy, but I can tell you work out. Right. <sighs> okay, here we go. Go ahead, take that, Dave. Grab Thor's hammer. Okay, there you go. Nice, nice. Okay, and got it. Smash for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception. Set the record straight once and for all. All right. So the myth I'm about to bust, if if, if yes. your audience is ready for it, is that in in B two B go to market, that either sales or marketing has to get credit. Right. That that it's really a competition. Um, and smash let's bust someone has to get credit um, credit 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 give me give me give me someone has to get credit and what it comes down to you know and, and i've been as you mentioned i've been i've been in b2b tech marketing for the last 20 plus years um and most b2b companies you invest in sales and marketing with an eye on generating meetings generating pipeline closing deals um and most orgs fall into the trap of feeling they need to give ultimate credit to sales or marketing so that when meetings get set, the question is, well, how do we get that? How did we source it? Was that from a BDR or a sales rep or was it a marketing program? When we see opportunity go into pipe, the same questions are asked. And when deals close and everyone's kind of cheering, there's kind of that undercurrent of like, well, who, who is, who's, yeah. who do we need to applaud? Right? So here's the deal. What's really happening. And this is, I think, the winds have changed in the last two, three, four years. I think there's more sophistication around this. Um, but we all know in B2B by process, the more expensive the product, the more complex um, the product or service, or the higher the, the, higher the price of the offering. Um, usually you have more people involved in the buy decision. It's just yeah. going to take longer, right? Um, so in that way, B2B marketing has to be and is a team sport, right? Over the course of a long sales cycle and, and with these types of products and services where a high price, usually you're not, it's not just a long sales cycle. You're probably going to go through two or three sales cycles over the course of a period of time when the buyer is actually ready. Like the first whole sales cycle might be in education, trying to prime the, the buyer, trying to build internal advocacy with a champion within their organization. 
So there's so many touch points that's happening throughout that. Um, so that when, when that meeting does get booked and the opportunity goes into pipe and deal closes, it's a number of touches. It, there is, it's an impossible, it's a fool's errand to try to um, pin down who should get yeah. credit, right? Um, and it's also a culture killer, right? Um, if you want walls to go up, you know, it's very, it's cliche almost that, you know, there's, there's walls between sales and marketing. If you want those walls to go up, like in the blink of an eye, like try, go down this path of trying to declare credit. Um, but ultimately that you have CEOs and CFOs and CMOs fall into the trap. Chief revenue officers fall in the trap. They do feel they need to, they need to justify the dollars going out so that there's a tendency to want to do that. But ultimately, if you want to do, if you want to have a really tightly run go-to-market engine, um, a buyer is going to get touched multiple times. Um, the pipeline, I'm looking this morning, you know, we can see in our Slack pipe going and yeah. a pipeline that's generated. Um, I can see that it's most likely, I, I, someone might've attended a trade show that we we're at. I just got back from Chicago at a big, a big event. That's great. Um, I, I can cheer and I can, I can raise my arms in victory that, that someone came to the booth, we scanned it and, and the rep was able to, to drive a pipeline, uh, drive an opportunity. The reality is it might be the result of a, a brave BDR doing cold outreach a year ago, um, driving a meeting that didn't go very well because the, cust the, the, cust the, uh, the prospect wasn't quite ready or familiar. Um, that same prospect might've been hit by an email uh, six months ago. They, they might've seen, we went through a branding refresh a few months ago. They might've seen us on LinkedIn and got more interested um, right. and so on, right? So the fact that they happened to go to a trade show booth, I, as you know, the marketing lead, you know, I'm doing it injustice if I'm saying, hey, that, you know, that $200,000 opportunities because right. of the trade show. Um, this is all not to say that you don't, you, can't, you have to measure performance across all of this stuff so you know where to invest. Um, but it is that that blanket acknowledgement that um, that it is a long journey to to get to a closed deal in in, in Man, most cases. Bring up the fact that it's a culture killer uh, for sure. It's a fool's errand. I, I've definitely seen, you know, it works both ways. I mean, marketing getting credit when they shouldn't, and sales getting credit when they, well, not not shouldn't, but like it misappropriated levels of credit. Just it's bewildering. I've seen. You know, someone does go to a trade show, they hit it off great, and they they had shots of Jaeger until 2 a.m. with a sales rep. Uh, on Monday, they get a follow-up from marketing, and they buy Tuesday because they had a great experience at the trade show. And who gets the last credit? Well, that email did. But, you know, but it couldn't work the other way. So definitely a fool's errand, but I love that you brought up the culture killer because instantly it turns that room a shade of gray where now everyone is you're competing, you know, you're, it's not me and you, it's me versus you. And one of us gets the ax. That, that's right. I mean, it's all about, this is around sales and marketing alignment. Um, it's around fighting for that every day. And even when you have it, like it's very, it could be, um, you know, if you don't give it TLC, it could kind of, uh, it gets diluted and, and, and it can, uh, the walls can go up pretty quickly. So, I don't know, over my, I've had some black eyes over time where you try it, where, where you think you're doing the right thing and you think you have, a, you think you're um, aligned with your, the sales team. Um, so I know there's a few things I've learned over time around um, sales and marketing alignment. I think first and 
foremost, you know, these are often two organizations that are measured differently, historically, traditionally. Um, they have different vantage points on where, where credit should be due when things are going well and who, you know, who's to blame <laughs> when the sky is falling. Um, so when things start to go off the rails, thing, it, it might look like this, right? You have um, sales house. Sales has no idea what marketing is doing or how they're helping, right? Um, the marketing team gets really frustrated that marketing is creating all this great stuff, all these great programs and campaigns and content and sales tools, but the reps aren't taking advantage of them. Hey, like it's all right there. You know, why, why are you struggling? Um, why aren't you appreciating us more, right? And marketing teams get very frustrated that, that sales reps aren't pushing the right buttons in the CRM to give credit because we ultimately need need to work together in tandem so that the systems can capture, you know, what's actually happening in a sales cycle. Um, so, and, and then, then you have, unfortunately, in a lot of companies when, you know, political organizations, companies actually long lack a strong culture overall, or, or they lack that strong executive culture. Um, uh, uh, this alignment can get pushed pretty hard and pretty fast. Um, so how I've managed this over time um, I kind of talk about these are usually orgs that are measured differently. You just got to like put smash that like you can't measure differently. Don't there are still orgs and I talk to a lot of my peers that they they are they are tracking leads goals. They're tracking MQL goals. These, these are things that should be tracked. Like you should understand the kind of engagement that's happening higher in the funnel. Um, but you fundamentally if 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 meetings and opportunities is what's actually most important and that's the best indicator of the business, um, that that's what you need to be measured on. So I, with my counterpart, Nikki, um, who runs sales at crunch time, um, company that I'm currently with, shout out to Nikki and shout out. Now we've, I've been fortunate to have a really great sales partner for the last four or five years. And what we do as we kick off each year, we go into deep planning, you know, as we go into the year and every quarter we're actually modeling and we are coming up with, um, a, a cl very clear sense of like, what are our joint teams together trying to get in terms of scheduled meetings, um, meetings that take place and pipeline and doing that across the different sales teams. We have three different sales segments um, or yeah. customer segments that we target. Um, so that's really important. So I think that there's, there's a built-in respect that what we're, we're declaring victory at the right time, not this trade show where we got 500 leads and say, okay, feeling pretty good. <laughs> good luck sales. And, and sales, you know, and, and you have a lot of reps that might be yeah. struggling to kind of hit their pipeline coverage to, to hit quota. Um, so it really helps when you kind of have philosophically, you know, measured the same. Because why? Because you track in that same direction together, right? And, and I mean, so many times you get confused. If, if that is not correct, then what? We're just, we're, we have separate goals. So we're pulling in different directions. Pulling in different directions and you're also investing in the wrong things potentially, right? Where I, I feel really good about this direct marketing campaign, about this, this email campaign or integrated campaign, whatever, whatever marketing might've spent a lot of time preparing yeah. and you're feeling pretty good about, um, you risk doing it again, right? I'm going into deep planning for the second half of this year and I'm going to look back. So am I measuring, am I grading the success of our programs in the right way to, to know where to invest again? Um, so I think one is measure, me, 
doesn't, it's not to say I, I have a whole bunch of upper funnel metrics and at a program level, different types of metrics that my team is going to look at to optimize and know if we should be investing. But ultimately we're declaring victory with the same credit, with the same metrics. Um, the other thing that's really important is around culture is kind of this team culture of shared credit. Like I can't do it alone. Like I, I can't just, um, uh, I can't. It, it doesn't do me any good if I if I'm coming out and applauding sales and trying to put grit in sales. I need I need my partner my my counterpart to do the same right and to kind of nip it in the bud when we see that there's this pull toward yeah. a binary giving of credit. So I anchor to the truth. I I have to kind of lead by example. So I and I, I think my team can hold me to it and the sales team can hold me to it that I anchor to a fundamental truth fundamental truth that marketing and the history of marketing right unless it's Unless it's you're an SMB or you're you're driving transactions through a website where someone's putting in a credit card, right? Unless that's the nature of your your go to market. In the history of marketing, mar a marketing team member has never um, scheduled a meeting, created an opportunity, closed a deal, right? We never create an opportunity. We just try to make it as easy as possible for a salesperson to do that. Um, so we need to build under so build an understanding that the head of sales right needs to share that same philosophy that very seldom does does a salesperson book mm -hmm. a meeting in isolation right um it might you know and it's taking nothing away from that sales rep who's put in a lot of time and effort and 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 a lot of research and, and scrappy outreach to kind of get that meeting and to to hopefully turn that into pipe but there's been back to my example I set up, this might've been a year and a half of education happening in the marketplace. So it's all the, the work that not only marketing, but other other BDRs or other sales reps might've done in the past to get on the radar and to educate that prospect organization. Um, and again, this is all to say shared credit. It's not like kumbaya utopia. Like it's still, you still have to like measure really carefully yeah. like what's working, right? Um, so attribution is really important to know um, what are the inflection points, um, where to invest, but it's it just acknowledging this long journey and there's several touches. I think, I think it's key. I think it's important to, to acknowledge that it is a long journey, that it isn't a flash in the pan. It, it's like those memes you see that say overnight success, right? It's a 10 year overnight success. That was a six month overnight success deal, right? <laughs> it didn't happen at the email or at that event. It, it, there was a lot of education that it made that happen. And I tell you the deals, like I keep talking about sales and marketing, the deals that actually close really fast, it's because it's probably customer referrals, existing customers, which you got, then yeah. you got to credit the product teams and the customer success teams. It's because you have a great product and, or a really good support team that's created a lot of success that's lowering the friction and lowering the bar barrier shortening the sales cycle. So there's other other attribution yeah. factors here at work at play. Um, the other thing I try to do, um, and this could get hard when you get really busy and you start to get, you, 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 well, I'll kind of spit it out. Mm. Invest in staying connected. Invest in staying connected. Um, you get really busy. Um, I, I'm off. I'm off with my team, doing a lot of different things. We're running different initiatives. I might have other cross-functional things with other parts of the organization, um, and you start to bump meetings on calendars, or you get out of habits, or you never got into good habits. So I have, personally, with me, you know, I have a weekly one-on-one -on -one with Nikki. 
um, where we're always able to strategize, plan, get early warning indicators of, of, of not only, of course, some of these cultural things that kind of sneak up, but early warning indicators on the business. Like, hey, are we, where are we in the quarter? Are there, do we yeah. need to pivot, right? Um, there's a weekly forecast meeting because it's not just about me and the head of sales. You need alignment with CFO. You need alignment with, very importantly, CEO, right? So in our forecast meeting, that gives us an opportunity to like almost train the rest of the organization how this stuff is happening. So, so you've got, got a bunch, bunch of people in the forecast meeting, meeting but with, with, with you, Nikki, at the one-on-one, could you just sort of, uh, you know, kind of peel back the curtain for it? What, what is it like to have, what's an effective one-on-one with sales look like? With, well, there's a few meetings. So one-on-one with myself, where it's literally one-on-one, my, my, like I had a marketing and I had a, a head of revenue. Um, I think it's, you know, we're, we're both really busy, so we don't have, you know, an hour and a half each week to sit. And, um, so you need other meetings on the calendar. Like, so my team, my team has touch points, whether it's product marketing, meeting with sales enablement, you have our, my demand gen marketing ops team meeting with sales ops. So there's all these other touch points that are creating this nice fabric and texture and making sure that we're moving quickly on the important initiatives and that we're flagging issues and that working together so that, that we really do feel like one team. So to your question, what, what do I focus on in my, my one-on-one, um, it is, it's very topical. Like we're not, we're not really going through, there's other meetings like the forecast meeting where we're cutting up, getting caught up on the operating rhythm of where we are in a quarter against our goals. Um, so it'll be topical, uh, based on flagging issues that have been coming up, um, concerns, um, and, and fortunately, you know, you go through, we go through, you know, a stretches where we don't, things are moving pretty smoothly mm-hmm. It's forward thinking. It's, I just last week, um, I'm very deep. I mentioned in second half planning, the very first person I'm getting input from, cause it's like, why spend all this time planning if this doesn't feel aligned with sales leadership? So I reviewed a very first rough cut of, of the campaigns and, and big investments for the marketing team, like in the back half of the year to really get validation that, 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 that felt like the right investment. So that that's mostly where, where I think we're focused. Now, because it's sales is involved, do you have to do shots before your meeting commences or are you able to just drink coffee? And- yeah, well, actually it's actually, uh, well, other ways we stay in touch, like the sales QBR. So my team, if I'm not at every quarterly QBR, at least members of my my direct reports will go. So that's where I have to kind of build. I got to bring the stamina, Casey. I got to. It is, you know. I said you mentioned I was. I did. I did a short stint as sales, so it kind of trained me, you know, to have to um, be yeah, ready in the, the trenches. You know what it's like. That's where the best bonding happened. Yeah. Um, yeah, so QB, that's really important too. QBR is where, you know, we just, I mentioned we went through a rebranding. We also launched um, a, uh, I came into just a little background for context is like I was at a company called Zenput for four years, which was acquired by Crunch Time, my current company last, last June. And I be, took on the head of marketing role for the larger company. So we had different companies in a, a broader product line coming together. So all of these things we're talking about have been really tested in the last six months because in January, we launched a, a new portfolio, like an expanded narrative. Like what's the story to tell this bigger, this bigger products portfolio story. So 
my team went off. We don't have a lot of information of like, well, what works? Because we're kind of doing this for the first time, telling a story, a bigger story. So getting to a QBR, for example, um, or meeting very often is different across the team is really important because we, I, I'm pretty excited about the story we're telling and my team's do, running a lot of creative campaigns, but I came back from the last QBR and it's super eye-opening that it's really hard. Surprise, surprise, you're doing a bunch of new things that our sales reps and BDRs are struggling a little bit to know where to focus or to how to tell the story or um, you have you know, folks that are comfortable with one, you know, one part of the product that we offer and not others. So that's where my team can recalibrate to say, okay, how can we help? So it's, it's staying really tight to really understand the state you, of affairs. You fight for that daily. You, you put effort into staying connected because it sounds like you can, you can get really connected at, at a great one-on-one or a great event, QBR, but if you're not careful, those, those habits, you, know, you mentioned that good habits might slip. You, you get busy and if you deprioritize it, it bad things can happen again. Yeah. And honestly, I think the hardest, the thing that I've realized is that the team keeps evolving, right? Like we're people come and go, you, you hire, you know, we've been hiring up quite a bit in the last several months. So you bring a lot of new people in that experience. They just had different experiences in the last companies and they might've thought they might've biases. They were like, maybe their marketing team, they thought they were crap, <laughs> you know, um, that they, they weren't adding value, that they were distracting. So they bring those biases in. Um, or you have marketers that came in that were used to living in ivory tower, doing all this work and weren't, weren't invested in the relationship and getting close to the sales team and spending real time with the sales team to understand kind of, you know, asking the question, like, how's it going? Right. You know, are you, you know, are the things that we're doing helping? Right. Um, and if, so just as the team mix keeps changing, that's, that's actually the hardest. That's why you have to stay on it because you're, you're training, you're trying to indoctrinate this culture and you have to kind of keep I mean, working it. makes so much sense, sense from both directions. directions. I, I mean, I, I once interviewed at a company where as a marketer, they wanted me to interview with some of the sales directors. There were several of them. And one of them told me flat out in the interview that it was his opinion that sales and marketing should always really hate each other. And then it was good to have a, a natural tension. And, and I just I thought, I found that a little, little bizarre, a little odd, never end up working there. But it just, it just seemed like a, yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It, it's a tough one because fundamentally, like it's that back to like yeah. the whole setup of this conversation, like a deal gets done with an elegant orchestration across these sales and marketing touches, like full stop. So if you're trying to set up tension and distrust, then you're not having these elegant handoffs just aren't gonna happen, yeah. right? So you're creating a ton of friction and, and setting your organization up to have a really hard time and a competitor, wherever you're, you know, whatever space you're playing in, if they're able to get that orchestration right, they're gonna, they might not have as good a product or, or a good a message or whatever it is, but if they're, if that orchestration is working really well, they'll probably get the edge. So, so let me throw the, the, I mean, a little devil's, devil's advocate, advocate, but you know, it's, it's all fun and rainbows, rainbows but if, if there, there aren't, aren't enough leads or they're not high enough quality leads, should sales be sourcing some themselves? Um, I, I've definitely heard a sales leader in the past say, you know, look, Marketing's, Marketing's not an excuse, excuse so, so 
they're, they're sending you garbage. It doesn't matter. You still got to go out and till the fields, find your own, right? And in these kind of attitudes. So, so how do you? What is the answer then in terms of how that works together? Yeah, no, really phenomenal question. Now I know why you run a podcast. You ask good questions. Um, the so two two things. So one is, yeah there may not be enough leads or we're not, the leads aren't quality or the handoffs aren't happening well. Um, it's so the other, like call it the final chapter. I'm sure there's many more chapters. Someone else might write is that um, for sales and marketing lineman is problems going to happen. You know, it's going to multiple times a quarter, you'll probably have some small issues, large issues. So it's solving these problems together. First of all, where again, I'm fortunate. I've had a sales partner. We've been working together for a while we get in the weeds, like we're not, we're staying out of the blame game. We're solving these problems together, um, first of all. So if if we're seeing something happen, there's leakage in the funnel, something's not happening, we're not getting the coverage we need. You know, we're, we're not coming in with bluster into a conversation right. trying to jockey against one another. We're like, okay, like, and 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 it's coming humbly. Like I, I might have folks on my team that aren't like, aren't stepping up to do what they need to do, right? Or some, and, same yeah. thing on on the sales team. Maybe that they're not they're they're not um, yeah they're not driving the consistent behavior against the program that we had agreed to. So fundamentally, I think it's pro- solving the problems together. Um, to your point, I think what helps me. I'm very lucky because I've, I've I haven't always had this. Uh, it, creating a culture at, at crunch time, um, the company I'm with. Uh, it, it's everything that marketing delivers is assumed to be gravy in some way. Not It's not said that explicitly, but there's an expectation that the sales rep is driving their own pipeline. Um, full stop. So there, but they see clearly they have tons of, of support from marketing to help make that as easy as possible. And hopefully we do make it really easy and they're getting tons of alley-oops. Again, I don't ever create an opportunity. It's all at right. best I'm doing alley-oops, right? Um, so yeah, it, it becomes really hard if the, if it is seen as like the job of, of Mm -hmm. opportunity generation is marketing, you're going to have a really hard time scaling as, as you go from whatever the goals are, you know, for the audience that's listening to whatever your goals are this quarter, three quarters from now, those revenue goals are going to be higher. And it's really hard to scale, you know, do you add a sales rep, do you add BDRs, do you add some marketing budget? You kind of need to do all three, but you're kind of, oh, there's always one team a little bit behind. So you're going to have capacity. So you, you need the whole, you need the whole team responsible for the funnel. Right. right. So, so they, they, they have, have to bear, bear some responsibility. Absolutely. Them. So there's a lot, they, they, they have, they're with a, with a very clear acknowledgement that that marketing is here to, to, to hopefully make that as easy as possible, but they're not supposed to abdicate that to marketing. Their response. They're responsible for hitting their quota, which means, you know, no excuses. And this isn't me as the head of marketing saying I'm kind of, you know, echoing what sales leadership. Right. Yeah, yeah, you're sharing what, what they, they, they have shared. shared. Um, okay. okay. All, All right. right. So, so they, they have to. to... So, so on that same kind of note, because you know what? Everything's roses and happiness and rainbows over crunch, crunch time. And I'm trying, trying to stir the pot a little bit here. So... So, so you, you know the evolution where more and more that sales process, more and more the research now is happening pre-sale, 
you see, see a lot more emphasis. emphasis. I think Gartner even like incorrectly had a, a paper that got misinterpreted that said, you know, something like 80% of the sale happened before you even got to a sales rep. So you see all these sort of trends saying that marketing really is doing 80% of it. Uh, and you know, what is even sales doing? Are they mostly just, you know, taking orders and stuff? How do you, how do you approach that kind of a situation and what's your belief on it? I, th I think it's, it's just been consistent. So consistently educating that all those web leads, like we get like probably most marketers out there you kind of the most of your, uh, most of your high quality leads that lead to meetings are coming through the website. Someone's coming saying, Hey, I'm, they're raising their hand saying, I want, I'd yeah. like a demo, please. Right. Um, it's reminding everyone that yes, maybe that's eight, maybe 80% of those are, let's say 80% of your meetings are set by marketing. Certainly not at crunch time. That's not happening. Like the sales team is the last touch in many cases is, um, is, is a BDR or a sales rep who's, who's managed to engage a prospect. But in the case of those, you know, those low, low hanging fruit marketing leads that come through the website. Yes. Maybe that came through a marketing program that led to the website. So it's reminding these people in the org that kind of have that 80, that, uh, that marketing might be doing most of the work that in many cases, it's the, all the work of those BDR teams, right? Whether you call S sales dev or biz or, or biz dev rep, um, doing that outreach that they might not have wanted to speak to a sales rep. They might not have wanted to get, give that, um, BDR that, that call back. They're going to the website, they're doing some research and they're like, huh, this actually looks, we were just thinking about this looks like this looks relevant to the initiatives that we're investing in, right? So it's reminding them about that, that there's a, yeah. it's a multi-touch journey. It's, it's, so the last touch, the easiest that I think that web, that web capture, that demo, that demo request or contact us, it just happens to be the mm. easiest thing to capture. It's easy to capture from a marketing side and it happens to be a very obvious last touch. It's all of a collective orchestration has led that prospect to, to have a, enough understanding of what you do and to, you've, you've kind of reduced that, that, um, that barrier, uh, you've built your credibility as an organization enough that, 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 rep, that prospect is willing to spend 30 minutes on the phone with you, but that's not because of that your website was designed, you know, wonderfully. Um, it's because of all these previous touches, many of which I'm sure came from the sales team. So it's just going through this, honestly, it's a case, it's just going through a scenario or two that happens with my current CEO or the board, I'll be in a board meeting and this topic will come up. I just have to bring up a couple examples to kind of say, oh, oh we, and they'll be like, it's logic that's almost irrefutable. If you describe a couple of I can go into our Salesforce instance, I'll take two opportunities and I'll look at all the activity. It just story writes itself. It's like, this is a multi-touch game. My, My next, next question, question to you is relating to, to you've got a great, great relationship with your sales counterpart. Kind of are there, you know, it's funny. She's probably on a podcast I right now. Saying, God, my relationship so with my marketing to this yeah. guy. I wish they'd bring it in. I wish they'd bring in a new CMO. This guy. Yeah, you know, we should get, get her on here, and then I'll, I'll ask her the same questions, and we'll speak right into this microphone. microphone. How how That's do you right. really feel about Dave? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Here I am, good, right? It's like kudos, and and maybe 
Maybe I'm not as well. No, it, it sounds like all those, those, all those, it's, it's not magic. magic. I think I'm, I'm getting this big picture from you that it's not magic when you're aligned, right? It's not like Disney World and suddenly Goofy's getting along with Mickey. Mickey. Like, it, 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 there's work, there's effort, you're investing time in order to get this result. So a, a follow-up around this is, do you, do you encourage your teams then to reach out to their counterparts? You've got a great relationship at your level. Are, Are there, there things designed to help them mingle and learn things, things from each other? Yeah, we, we do. As I said, we have a lot of, it's this connectivity. So in kind of in our joint team operating rhythm, we have, I mentioned, I have like my head of demand and marketing ops and, and some people in our team meeting with sales ops and, and the head of okay. our, our BDR manager. They're kind of working really closely together. Um, we have every week, a sales management and marketing meeting. So we have, it's largely with sales management. Um, and the, based on the agenda, anyone from my team might come, but this is where we're getting key input on programs we're about to run. And we can on the fly address issues. Um, we've had, you kind of say, you, you comment um, that everything seems great at crunch time. Things are pretty good at crunch time. But th something that we do, my team, in a way, we we get so excited. We're doing too much. We're always doing too much. It's something I have to try to help pull back, like focus. Very often in this sales and marketing meeting, we'll have sales management come and say, "You guys are throwing too much at us. Like, we our our team doesn't know where to focus. Like, we got these three events. You're asking us to drive leads. To you, tr we're trying to drive meetings at these events. You're launching this creative direct marketing campaign. You're asking us to follow up on that." We got all these webinar leads. You're asking us to follow up on that. So it's, it is without, if you don't have these touch points, like imagine if we're not having that meeting, the team is probably either best case, they're trying their best and they're probably not focused on the right things. Worst case, they're starting to get numb to all the stuff that's coming from marketing and they just right. ignore it. Right. Um, we do other things like I have something called a marketing minute. Like it's hard. Reps have too much coming at them. So each week we do, um, like, what are the three things? If I can have the sales reps understand three things we're doing, we have a very pithy marketing minute. So the, that's a very consistent cadence that we push out to the team. Um, I mentioned I joined the QBR. So I usually have, I get an opportunity at the QBR to kind of present on where marketing's at and some of the initiatives that I want to reinforce. Um, we have a monthly sales meeting in front of the whole sales team where, again, marketing, I'm always generously given time because I think I've earned kind of the uh, credibility that I'm, I'm right. adding value during that time. So so my team my team tends to uh, be well integrated with us, some of the, the uh, as the sales team comes together, usually yeah, marketing is playing a part in that. Uh, marketing, marketing minute, 60, 60 seconds, seconds is not a lot of time to convey three things. things. Got to talk, talk fast like, like the micro machine yeah. guy. <laughs> Gotta talk fast. Gotta talk fast. Well, this is this is fantastic. I, if I were to say, you know, in your position in marketing, to 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 flip around, I mean, everyone's gonna be like, man, you're so negative, Casey. But no, what would you say, Dave? Is like, what is the challenge then? If you if you're lockstep with sales, and and when problems happen, you're addressing them. You know, what is a challenge that you're you're facing? That modern marketing challenge right now. Um, to, you know, without tons of thought, to to come to mind pretty quickly, and we've kind of touched on them. One, ironically, so here I am, a guy saying, hey, attribution, you shouldn't worry about giving credit. The truth is, it's really important yeah. to know what's working. So um, 
getting to, and I think this is, you know, probably almost every marketer on the planet is still trying to get better at multi, multi touch attribution and to be able to not overweight yeah. last touch to understand what's driving value. Um, so just getting better at that with systems and data, right. As, as my, as my group matures, um, you know, we, you know, we might be running a lot of programs or spending money on things that we feel good about, but they're really, you know, is that, is that actually moving the needle? Um, which leads to the thing that I always fight with, fight against or fight with, which I, I alluded to, it's just partisanship. Um, there's just too much marketing. What I've loved about this journey in B2B marketing is it's really interesting. Like my day is every day is completely different. I think most of my team would say that because B2B marketing is extremely varied, right? The things, the, there's a broad marketing mix. There's a lot of channels. There's so many new techniques, all kinds of content, a lot of strategies. And the tendency for everyone, and like I'm guilty as well, is like you feel like you need to be doing all the stuff. You feel like you need to be doing all the stuff, right? You hear about your peers on LinkedIn, people are sharing like really creative things they're doing. And you're like, oh, I wish I did that. Why aren't we doing that? So I, I've gotten better at this, I think, over time. But it's been really, that that's the hardest part is how do you in any given quarter, like what are the, can you focus on like two things? Like are there two things that actually, if you did these other five things, it'd be nice, but two things matter. And if you could figure out the two things I usually, I talk to my team about what is, what is our core programs? Like what is our core, right? So, so I think we continue to try to get better at identifying our core and investing in our core. So if there are really two things that we, that, that are really making life easier for sales reps, how do we spend, not spread the peanut butter, but double down, triple down, quadruple down on the core? Because the tendency is you're like you kind of raise your hands in celebration. Oh, these are working. But then you you run off and do these other five things right. that kind of aren't really working very well. Right? I just, and I'm sure if there are marketers out listening, which hopefully they will be. like, no, 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 no. no to me. <laughs> yeah, well, you feel you need to be doing some paid search. You need to be doing some PR and you need to be kind of like figuring out how to use the this other social platform, which your team hasn't quite broken open yet. And all that's important, but I kind of consider that laboratory testing. You got your core, kind of think of a target bullseye target. The bullseye is your core, which you should invest. I've gotten better, but not good enough yet. I think you should probably invest like 80% of your time in your core because until you've really plateaued on it, and then you're, you got 20% laboratory testing where you're trying to, you can't scale to those big numbers next year. If you're just investing in core, you got to figure out what what laboratory tests are going to end up yeah. in core in two quarters, right? Flow into core. Man. Man. Picking, Picking the, the battles, battles prioritization. Tough, tough. tough. But, but, but it's, it's a much, much better battle to pick, to pick than, than having to deal with some crazies in the sales, sales world. You've you got, you got, got some good partners, partners over there. there. That's, 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 that's great, great to hear, man. man. You know, I, I want to shift a little bit because I've just been learning so much from you and I know everyone else has too. So just... Man, who, who are, are you? David, David who, take, take me back, back in time. time. Like, like, how do you know all these things? things. Take, take me back in time. time. Little Dave, did, did, did he know he was going to be, you know, know a head of marketing and, and, and all, all these things? things? I was playing in the sandbox in nursery school and saying, you know, I'm going to be a marketer one day. Yeah. Um, sure, sure. Happy to. So, I mean, the, the cliff note. So I'm a, I'm a New Yorker. So I grew up in New York, suburb of New York. 
I moved out to Silicon Valley. I live in the Bay Area in California um, about 25 years ago. So here, and I met my wife out here and we have two high school daughters. So, so suddenly, although I still have a lot of affinity for all things New York, I, I've long since adjusted to being, I, I guess I'm a West Coaster now. Okay, yeah, I, have to I was going to say, what would you Coaster. say you are if you had to pick a state at your core? Who do you root for? Which team? You know, um, I've been out here for, I've, I, I mean, I was such a big Yankee fan for so long. I still am, but. I was here long enough, especially through the Giants' really good years. So I've I've had to I've trans I've transferred right. to being a Giants fan for sure. Um, as as a marketer on the marketing journey, so you meant I've alluded to being a salesperson. So I I had two phases to my career as all as we all do. I didn't even coming out of college. I did not know I was I didn't know what marketing was. I think marketing has changed dramatically since I graduated from college. So even if I was a marketer then, it would be different now. Um, I had studied Japanese in college and. Um, for four years, graduated in, in a pretty bad economy at the time. So my first phase, I actually went to Japan for three years, work, um, and, and that's where I was actually a salesperson. I studied, I taught English for a year or so, but I was doing sales in Tokyo, um, and I wasn't great at it. Um, I had no mentorship. It was in the mid '90s, so like also, I think sales practices have evolved. The science of selling has evolved so much since then. Um, but it really gave me that really important empathy um, of having a quota, like understanding the pressures of, you know, needing yeah. to uh, succeed against the pretty hard challenge um, and had to try to do it in Japanese. And my Japanese wasn't that great. Um, um, it's even worse now. It, it, got, it got pretty good at the end, but it's been, too, it's been so long. Um, uh, that'll, yeah, people be, people be switching podcast channels pretty fast. Um, so on, as a marketer, so quickly, so I grew up as a product marketer. Yeah. So I came out here. I suddenly ended up like, again, I wasn't even looking for marketing roles. I was doing a business, a business development role, an alliance role, um, kind of my first tech role. Um, and then one thing led to another, I, I was able to go into a role that was super small company. The way you get to like expand your cover of your responsibilities, go small. So I was in a small startup. They brought me in because of this alliance stuff. And they said, well, you're smart. Why don't you do the marketing stuff too? And I'm like, mm -hmm. okay. So that gave me a chance to kind of redefine myself as marketer. Um, then I went, got my first uh, meaty marketing job um, as a product marketer and spent the next seven, eight years in increasing roles responsibility in that, in that domain. Um, and then I was kind of found myself I was I was running global product marketing at Success Factors, okay. which was uh, company was acquired shortly after I left, acquired by SAP. But that's when I decided I kind of wanted to pull all the levers. I really love product marketing. I think to my core, that's still kind of my DNA as a marketer. Um, but I kind of I did feel I'd have more impact if I had the ability to pull more levers. Um, and again, to get the chance to do that, I went small. So I went from a you know mid-sized software company to a startup called Bizzo, kind of in the B2B ad tech world. And then the last dozen years, that's what I've kind of been doing. I've been growing, build, going a little bit early, building out teams. Um, um, I've then gone big, usually through acquisition, where the companies I've been in might get acquired. I used to do a stint in larger companies. But the last dozen years, it's been great. I've had... Um, Great opportunity to work in good cultures with good execs, with very supportive CEOs. Part of the part of the recipe of a great marketing career is like picking like it is the exact team you're working with. You're 
your life as a marketer is is shaped a lot by the head of sales relationship, which we've been talking about, but it's also the trust you have with your CEO, right? So I've, I've been fortunate to have a good CEOs to work with in my career. Shout out to that, that's the cliff notes. Happy to unpack. Yeah, no, it, it's great. Shout, shout out to CEOs who actually get marketing. Because you're 100 percent right. That, yeah. You know, if they if they don't if they don't view it correctly, then it makes everything that much harder, and you're probably not long for that world. Yes, time to get high high turnover rate. Yeah. Yeah. So, man, fascinating, and we we can talk. Japanese culture. culture. I mean, I've had a chance to visit Tokyo. Tokyo. Love it. So much. Such a cool trip. Um, have, have you seen, seen a Tokyo, Tokyo Giants baseball? I actually, I don't know if I've, I saw, I spent a year in Osaka. So I actually went, okay. I think I did, I did get to go to a couple of baseball games okay. my first year there in and around the Kansai area. Got it. Okay. okay. Uh, so, so yeah, different, different, different uh, area. Yeah. Oh, it's totally different. You know, just, Really fun, super, super different culture. Um, the, the culture of baseball is just fun and different no, no, as well. No, no. People, People listening, uh, every, every single player has their own theme song that is a chant that everyone chants the entire time they're at bat until they're done, whether they strike out or hit or something. And they're just playing that song. They're just chanting. So anyways, the, the fan... Um, the, the fan levels, levels are off the charts. charts. But, 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 but Dan, I have a bit, bit of a hypothetical, hypothetical question for you. For you. Sure. Because see, I may or may not have a time machine here in New Hampshire. Hampshire. So, so let's say you come visit the East Coast, Coast again, again. You know, swing, swing by, by New York, but then come up here to New, New Hampshire. Hampshire. You hang out, get some lobster, get some beer. And then you get to you get to use this time. It's in the backyard, let's be honest. It's in the backyard. You get to use this time machine. And we go back in time. It's a particular kind of machine where you get to go visit yourself a couple days after, after graduating, graduating with that undergrad, undergrad in Japanese studies and international relations, yeah. you get to go meet that version of you. You can say anything you want to talk about. about. What, what kind of advice would you give yourself? What kind of recommendation? What would I give myself? Um, I think it's it's like all of us. Um, all of us build confidence over time, and we. Um, I guess I, I've always been, well, I'll, I'll answer the question I'll, in a backdoor way. I've always felt I've been, I've been, so I've always had an appetite for risk and like, I, I wouldn't veer away from like ambiguity. Right. Um, but I think, so I, I jump at opportunities. I think it took me a while to get my voice in roles. I do remember actually like, you know, obviously I throw myself into a sales role in Japan that was hard and, and whatnot, but. It was actually quite shocking coming out to Silicon Valley for the first time. And I remember being, my mind, and it, others I'm sure can relate, but um, my mind would be working. I'd be in meetings and I'd be with executives and I'd want to contribute. I'd want to contribute, but I was really overanalyzing. I was super fearing of failure in terms of how I'd be perceived because I didn't feel smart enough. I didn't understand things enough. Um, no, obviously here, fast forward, because, you know, before I step in the time machine, I'm now, you can see, pretty comfortable with my world now because I've been in it. I, my advice to myself would be to, you know, everyone else, it's that same thing. Everyone else is learning and growing the same as you are. And, you know, just don't, don't, don't worry. Don't worry about saying the wrong thing. Um, speak up. Um, uh, take, take. Take a shot, give your perspective. Because I think in those early 
those early years, I think I spent a lot of time, although I took risks in the career jumps, in the moment, I would be a little cautious. I'd be a little cautious. I don't think it actually blew up at me, but I feel it, it, um, it probably held me back relative to others, others in meetings that had no idea what they're talking about. As we, we all know them, they had no, they had no problem. And they, they, they probably got more visibility early. They probably just enjoyed their job more because they're not overanalyzing and, and feeling like you're, you're, um, um, you know, worried about this, you know, about to step into some landmine because you don't understand enough. So I do, I hadn't prepared this response or this thought, but that that's it goes back to that. I think in my early career, it took me a while to kind of get my voice and my confidence, and just not to worry so much. Trust trust that your intuition, whatever body of experience you've had, is going to help, is going to add value. Yeah, yeah speak, speak up, up find, find your voice, man. Take, take your shot. shot. Yeah, love, love that. Take your shot. Love, love that. Well, well, dude, dude thank, thank you so, so much for coming, coming on here. here. I, I, don't I don't know if you looked, looked at the clock. clock. We've, We've just been in our own little time warp here. here. We have just it's been great. So I mean. Going, going over, over the different, different ways, ways that you're actively trying to keep aligned with sales has just been so powerful. So I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun, Casey. Hell yeah. yeah. And, and for those listening, if you learned something, and I freaking know you did, because I literally have two pages of notes over here, front and back. And if you have, like me, learned something, share this episode with one person. You could do it with three or nine or 4,000, but even just one person. Getting good information into their hands. Maybe you, maybe you're a marketer and you're you have some issues dealing with sales, or maybe you've got a friend who has a hell of a time working with their sales counterpart, or vice versa. Get this interview into their hands so they can learn from Dave too. With that, Dave, thank you again, sir. You the man. Awesome. You too. Take care, Casey. All right, everyone. This has been another crazy cool episode of the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time.